With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the best of Maddie Johns. Morning, glory, everybody. Great start. Uh, it's our final show, people, for 2023. Hang in there. Could be a little bit loose. Um, we're going to talk about Michael Maguire getting the New South Wales job. We're going to preview Australia versus Samoa. Uh, Webster, Tim Zhu, Volkanovski. What about that? We're going to chat about Eddie Jones. Um, what about Eddie? Oh. Anyway, what do you do? I know I have not been negotiating with Kiss FM. Uh, Sydney, <laughs> Sydney Morning Herald's uh, Andrew Webster. Oh, Webby, you're getting very emotional last show. I can see that, are you, mate. Are How you doing all right? I'm okay. You're fogging up, mate, with your glasses. <laughs> Sweating. Alex, the maestro. How are you, mate? I'm sad, boys. No, but it's it's more like a it's a melancholy. It's yeah. a, a, a thought of all the great memories we've made this year. We should. The oh. friends we've made along the way. Appreciate that. So yeah. many memories, none of which I can remember. No. <laughs> <laughs> ben Hogarth. Oh, another political T-shirt. What yeah. do you got, got against circumcision, dog? <laughs> well, nothing. Nothing. Okay. give away too much information. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Bloke in a bath. Down at Camp. Campy, how are you, mate? mate? I am very, very good. I am very good. Summer is here. I mean, you walk outside, absolutely beautiful. Mate, honestly, you walk outside. It's 13 outside. degrees. Yeah. What? It's cold outside. Oh, hard enough, mate. Come <laughs> on. No, not cloud in the sky. You can literally hear the birds making love. Uh, movie of the week, Ben. Yep. Short Shape Redemption. Now, you come up with this one. What's... I mean, well, it's, it's a it's a big film, but why have we waited so, waited so long? Well, Maestro, can I, just, can I just cue the theme song? Because I need some music for this. But Denon, Webbo, Matty, I chose this film because just like Shawshank Redemption, covering rugby league can sometimes feel like a life sentence. (laughs) Sure, there's times like Magic Round where you can sit on a rooftop and enjoy a beer. But most of the day, it's it's a grind. But just like Andy, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And come September, after you crawl through 500 yards of shit... You come out on the other side, and we all end up on a beach on the Pacific Ocean, enjoying the sun. <laughs> That's why. Anyone seen the big? <laughs> <laughs> that was Very beautiful. Good. Very beautiful. Oh. Highlights, Thank you, Webbo. Highlights of the year, boys. Um, I think one of my highlights was getting Jared Croker on a couple of weeks ago being the ambassadorship, and he had no idea what he was ambassador. <laughs> what are you ambassador for? Well, I don't know, mate. Don't know much about that. Okay, thanks for joining us. <laughs> a couple of weeks before State of Origin, I had some nice things to say about the Queensland side. That went well. That went good. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't create many headlines no, for, nah. two, for, for six months. Uh, it's like there's, this year has been before Joey and then I, after Joey. I just can't. <laughs> just I, I cannot. AJ. I'm looking at BJ, that. BJ AJ. I'm looking at that T-shirt, Ben. I, I'm sorry. That circumcision protesting is is a big thing in America. Oh, massive. At a pink oh, concert the other oh, night, I, she threw a bloke out. Well, so those guys, 
I see them at um, I've seen them at every Super Bowl I've been to. They're they're relentless. They're yep. everywhere. Covered in like Sorry. white suit. Covered in blood. Yeah, you know, every time you go to a big event in America, like like the Super Bowls I've been to or NBA Finals, they just have they have there's the circumcision people and there's the yeah. other people. Sorry, there's people. They walk around huge, yeah, with, like pretend blood in their crutch to say like this yeah. is what. Are like they're so against circumstances, isn't it? Like they're all... like Kramer. It's like the Seinfeld episode where Kramer doesn't like the Brits. Ah, what that's what it. about of all the hills to die on? <laughs> all <laughs> the things to that little piece of skin. <laughs> oh my and god! And you know the other protest is it's like Jesus is coming. Yeah, and when, yes. I remember when I covered the, the Super Bowl in Houston, I saw a sign that said Jesus is coming, and then I got an Uber, and no word of a lie said Jesus four and a half stars. Three minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> Blew my head off. <laughs> well, I took with the Super Bowl. We went to me and Gordy are walking in with a, with a friend of ours, and we're looking at the circumcision, and they're doing the you know blah blah blah. And I said, you know, sorry guys. Um, anyway, we're chatting along, and this guy's gone past me, like two guys. One has sort of half bumped me, and I've got my I got my ticket in my pocket, right? Gordy, Gordy's mate, mine and Gordy's mate has got it in a lanyard. So this guy literally bumps into our mate Daryl and in an instant opens his, opens his lanyard and steals his Super Bowl ticket. Stop. What? Still in that in an instant. Oh my. Right out. Like a little bit of diversion. This guy looked like they're just a genius at it. So we go to the, uh, to the studio, the NFL. Uh, there's a bit of place here and say, this is what's happened. There's a group, mostly elderly people standing there, about 30 of them that have been ripped off by the same, by the same organisation. And they say, well, we're sorry, you can't come in. It's up to oh you. Oh, my. Wouldn't let in. So me and Gordy go to our seat. Next minute, the guy comes and sits next to us. Now, he's not the guy who stole He's the guy that bought, bought it. the stolen ticket. Oh, yeah. And Gordy, imagine Gordy. Yeah. Gordy's like, mate, grab the bloke. And, and the guy was like, fair play, just goes, mate, I've come here from Kansas City. Mm. He goes, I've just bought this out the front for $9,000. Oh, so oh my can, God. Can you imagine the money those guys made? Like I, I, that day, just by pinching, oh pinching people. The, the work, the work to do that, to like the prep to be able to go bang, bang. Yeah. So, so did, the, did, did the guy go, leave, not stay? He had to go back to the hotel. Here's a oh, photo, and this doesn't really work on. This doesn't really work on radio, but there's a photo I took in Houston in 2017. It's a man in a white, all white, with a cowboy hat, with a blood around his crotch, and it says, "Foreskin is normal, healthy, and valuable." <laughs> It's funny. I brought my boys' foreskins in this morning. What do you reckon we get for that? Mate, I've, I've got a good. Super Bowl I've, tickets. I've good. I had a mate who, uh, at the age of twenty-one, he had to get it removed because he became infected. Let oh, me tell you. What? At yeah. twenty-one, yeah. Because we st- Australians started to do it post World War One, mm. fighting in uh, in the deserts and everything. People, uh, soldiers were getting their fo- foreskins. Uh, what are we doing? Today? What are we doing? <laughs> this is our last show. They were getting, they were getting, they were getting their foreskins <laughs> infected because of you know the sand, and having to, they were having to do like foreskins oh. on uh, uh, like um, oh. circumcisions on the run, on the run, on the run. with what? Yeah. Uh, I'd say a knife, rusty, hammer and bolster, or yeah, rusty, <laughs> rusty knife. <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, other highlights. <laughs> just on a uh, different boys, it deserves uh, lead. On, on this show today, the David Beckham documentary. Now, people that haven't seen it, oftentimes you look and you think, oh, everyone, I, I know everything about David Beckham. It is. It is just insanely good. Uh, it takes a lot to beat. I mean, the bar that people talk about these days is The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. I think it's, I think it's better. Mm. It's, it's, got, it's got more heart. It's got more warmth. 
second only to Tales of Tiger Town. Um, I think it was, it's I, I can't I couldn't believe how good it was. And it's you know what I like about it, it humanizes him and uh, and posh spice. So like she, they're just so normal. They're just so normal. Yeah, they're, they're great just so people. unaffected. You know, and I don't know like the way things can be cut, but I reckon like through the course of a four part doco like that, you, if they were if they were were precious celebrities, it, it would come through at some degree. But no. I think they come across as I, I they're so unaffected. I don't think people realise this generation at least how big Posh and Beckham were. We're yeah, talking about yes. two of the most famous people in the world, mm. and because Beckham is this, you know, this good-looking guy and the model, it almost, I guess, I takes away how good of a footballer he was. It's obscured, it hasn't. Yeah, it, it, yeah, has, it does. You don't, you don't, yeah. you don't get, it doesn't get compared to the greats, but he was one of the greatest footballers, especially when it comes to free kicks or yeah. ball playing or passing. And also, he was a mixture of the, the the really delicate, good touch, good ball playing. But also, he he usually when you have that, they're sooks and they don't they yeah. don't try hard, they don't chase every ball. He chased everything, Mate, what everything. He, what he had to endure in '98. <sighs> Like, I remember getting up that morning to watch them play Argentina. Michael Owen scored that wonder goal. I think, it, and then, I mean, Argentina, aren't they maestro? They're always the bogey team mm. for England. And then when Beckham went down with Simone, took the, you know, the initial reaction on the telecast and really in the aftermath was, oh, mate, what about the RG taking a fall? You know, how ridiculous, you know. Some people saw a gamesmanship. They, he, they branded him a cheat. But I remember in the post... Someone just said, well, in my opinion, it was ill-disciplined from Beckham, and if he stays on the field, we win. That was the trigger for just all of a sudden. Well, like, ha- Glenn like Hoddle just threw him turns. under the bus. Yeah. What, what yeah. A, His manager threw a 23-year-old player under the bus. What, a, terrible. Do- what a dog he Glenn ca- Hoddle is. He doesn't come... <laughs> he doesn't, <laughs> where, are you, where, where are you, Hoddle? Yeah. If you're listening, call in. Um, <laughs> he just threw his, he threw his man under the bus. I could, I mean, it's you unbelievable. Could, you could tell by the initial press conference in the documentary, he was so jealous and bitter of a young, good-looking upstart player that he just yeah. hated it. He hated yeah. it. But, like, Beckham's actually the first book I ever read, like, first, like, back-to-front book because I uh, obviously played soccer growing up. But, yeah, I, I don't think he gets enough appreciation for how good he was because it's almost as, like, obviously, you know, Cam Murray isn't David Beckham. But when Cam Murray first came into the grade, because he's a good-looking guy, you didn't associate this, like, crazy toughness. Yeah. It's taken him year and year and year if you go, oh, hang on a sec, he's one of the toughest players in the, mm. in the, the way league. He, the way he came out of that, I was in England at the time when, you know, the boot to the to the head from Ferguson <laughs> when he kicked the, uh, the Predator boot and hit him in the head. <laughs> but the other one was that when he scored that wonder goal, which really sort of, I think, was a big turning point, you know, as far as the English fans falling in love with him all, all over again. He scored that goal against Greece to get him through the World Cup. <clears throat> Myself, Brian Carney and Steve Ranoff are driving down the M6, going from, you know, heading to Wigan. And on the sides of the roads in the M6, like, there's a lot of density, you know, big populations and whatnot, you, you know, Preston and Blackburn and Chorley and all these places. We're driving and literally in the car and we're in the tension as he's going to make that kick against Greece. They look like they're going to be eliminated. And when he scores, you can hear the roar wow. on the side of the oh, highway. Holy hell. It was just... Wow. What about Alex Ferguson? There is so much Wayne Bennett oh, than Alex no. Ferguson. And like, he comes across as this, like, initially, you go, oh, father figure. Father. By the end of the docker, you're going, he is a ruthless killer. What's going but on what here? What about how he just, like... I also got out of it how, like, Beckham was so head over heels in love with her. 
like with, yeah, with yeah. Victoria. Like he'd drive four hours to London to have spend seven minutes with her. But Ferguson just didn't want want him having any distractions like love. He didn't have any time for it because it, it, you know, he well, thought it was it thought it was going to you know hurt him, hurt his football. In Fergie's book, he writes. There's a whole chapter on Beckham because of the talent he was, and obviously getting him back after the '98 World Cup. But he talks about the opposite side of that, how he saw Beckham change from a player who you talk about, Denon, that mm. chased everything and was uh, so hardworking to someone, the only player, Ferguson says in his autobiography, that cared more about his brand than what he was doing on the pitch. And that switched in yeah. about those two years those after two years. the 2002 yeah, right. World Cup before he moved to Just Real Madrid. What, what I'm surprised yeah. at is they didn't talk about the Adidas Predator. Any yeah. soccer, any soccer player growing up, like I, I, I honestly, I used to dream about those boots, and we couldn't afford them, so I couldn't get them. I had to take hand me downs. But the Adidas spread like yeah. the it, big was, tongue, it was, it was changed yeah. football okay. boots. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you the the genesis of the Adidas Predator because a, a mate of mine, Craig Johnston, mm. played for Liverpool, bit of name dropping, but you know I'm Matty Johnston. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you just so, dropped your own name. <laughs> Jono, that's right. So Jono. He's coaching an under-9s team at Avalon on Northern Beaches, yeah. right? And what he's doing, he's teaching the kids like what he, how he learned to do it, how to bend a ball. Anyway, the kids are teaching the young kids, you know, if you hit a ball this side and swing and whatnot, an Irish swing this way. They're playing one day and it's wet. And one of the young kids comes up and says, oh, Mr. Johnson, when, when, when it's wet, you can't bend the football, you can't get grip on the ball. And when the kid said grip, John I went, right, Went and got one of the parents and said, can you do the rest of the session? Drove to a sports store in Avalon, bought ping pong rackets, tore the rubber oh. tore, tore the rubber off the ping pong uh, racket, or what do you call it, paddles, paddles, and just stuck them on boots. What? Went down to the park and kicked and went, oh, my God, this works. Immediately went and bought a camcorder, flew to Europe, Went to some of the best players and said, you know, can you do this? They mm. filmed. Went to Adidas and said, this is what I've got. Adidas said, not interested. Went to Nike, not interested. Puma, not interested. Went. The last person he went to was Franz Beckenbauer, the great German uh, captain, uh, the Kaiser, they called him. Filmed Beckenbauer taking free kicks with the boot and turned to the camera and said, this will change football forever. Wow. And took it back to Adidas I went. and just went... <laughs> It went wow. through the roof. They, they, when they he put the presentation forward and the Adidas executive stood up and gave him a standing ovation and from there, the first guy who ever wore them was a Manchester United player, Paul Ince. And Jono's, and it was a really big day, he said, I was so nervous that he said I couldn't watch the match. Anyway, he's walking through a shopping centre and his wife yelled out to him, Craig, uh, Paul Ince has just scored. Oh. He ran to a TV and he scored with a header. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Get out in the high, Matt. You're listening to the best of Matty Johns. Boys, big news on Michael Maguire. Uh, has not put pen to paper, but has agreed to be the next Blues coach. I, I think it's a terrific appointment. I reckon you're the reason he got it. Because you've been talking him up for the I last have, week. I have been talking him up. Yeah. A little I think of all the people, percentage there? Or what? Yeah, I ain't getting a sling. Uh, <laughs> I think all the all the people that were available. He was the best. Because you know, like he's still got his eye on with the day-to-day coaching. 
But it's just the nature of who Madge is. He, he's the most organised and prepared coach mm-hmm. that I have seen. The question will be, is can he be too intense? Well, he can be too intense. But when you get elite players in for a short stint and they go, I think it is perfect. Like Ricky, like with Ricky, with Ricky, yeah, with Ricky, it's the same with Gus. They short stints. My yeah. my only look, I just think you're right, but I still think a, like bigger picture, the New South Wales Rugby League should never have got him into a situation where they they're so limited with their options, and then they give him a one year deal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just think like the the whole thing needs a reboot, like yeah. it was when Freddie took over in eighteen after three series losses. It needs a reboot. And I, I get the whole thing with Madge's intensity, but yep. for mine, and I wrote about it in the Herald today, it's not so much like they, they'll be up. Like, I mean, they're yep. origin players. It, it, they've got to sub, they, they need to make some really ballsy decisions with his team. Definitely. Just like Freddie did in 18. Yeah. It's, ti- it's time, for, it's I, I time for that. It's from outside looking in the one year deal, the coach they've selected, it does seem like we just need to win next year. And everything yep. past that. It just outside looking in, it doesn't seem like there is a long term plan. It's rather no. like, look, let's just get this win, yeah. and then we can reassess. But look, I think that's where they're that's they're in that corner. They got no choice. Yeah, and I, look, I think Cartwright is a bit unlucky. He, yeah. he, you know, he's assistant coach of the Broncos, doing all right, and obviously he's got you know player all the accolades that you would need. Uh, with Michael Maguire, I think one real strong positive that in his favour. If there's one bloke that cop the media heat and has been copping the heat that, for the last years... And that's a big one. Yeah. That's a really big one. The ability to handle pressure. Mm. Because you see the toll it eventually took on, on Freddie during tough times. 100%. And, and, and Madge, to be honest, in the last couple of years at the Tigers, and I had empathy for him at what happened at, at the West Tigers because he had a lot of noise from the people above him. It was hard to coach. I remember talking to him about it. It was hard to coach yep. with a running commentary from his chair and chief, chief executive about players and contracts. It's hard to do. But origins on steroids in terms of, of scrutiny and, mm. and pressure. It's, isn't it funny with Madge? You look and you go, the, the job he did at South Sydney, won't be, the legacy left there you know, won't be forgotten. You know, 41 years, 41 43, years. Yep. 43 years, apologies, and, and grabs a competition. Uh, but also the West Tigers, right? When he got, left the West Tigers, people went, geez, that went bad. Ugh, if you thought that was bad. Oh, like yeah. in his absence, since he's left, it actually shows the job he was imagine, actually doing. There. Imagine what Michael Maguire could do with the roster they have now. Yeah. yeah. You know, they'd be playing finals footy. Honestly, mm-hmm. they'd be playing finals footy. And look, I'm, I've actually been, when Michael Maguire was coach, I actually felt that he was struggling to adapt to the next generation of mm-hmm. player. So I was critical of a lot of the decisions he's made. But I think history is going to be kind to Michael Maguire at the Tigers. Because you look at the roster he had, the fact they were finishing ninth compared to the roster they got now, it's crazy. And, and at the time too, Book, if you have a look at, like he didn't say this publicly, but he was like behind the scenes, he he walked into the Tigers and went like cap wise, went, oh my god, mm. this is a complete and utter mess. He had players who, look, not fringe players, but they were yeah, they were good first graders on eight fifty, oh. some on nine. Oh, it their was, cap, their cap uh, it, was, it still is. It was great. a complete and utter debacle. Yeah. And he had to wade through all that. He had to make some tough decisions, you know, put noses out of joints, allowing yeah. guys to walk away. But I think boy, I oh, think boy. for New South Wales, and look, this might sound super obvious to everyone, but first point of call is Nathan Cleary, the captain, it's your team. Of course it is. Yeah. You know, no matter what, it, regardless of how well Teddy plays, if he gets that spot back, which he may, Cleary, captaincy, your team. Let's go for it. See, I reckon, I reckon, I reckon this is, and this is no disrespect to Teddy at all, because I understand he's the Australian ca- ca- captain. 
but that's the big ballsy decision that needs to be made. Of course it is. Like, maybe. I reckon Teddy's at that stage of his career now. Like, I reckon this is a perfect swan song for him rep-wise, these these games for Australia. Go out on a high if he can and then concentrate on the rest last few years of his career at the Roosters and let and let an, another wave of New South Wales totally, players through. I totally agree, Webby. And Cleary becomes captain. Yeah. Clear, Cleary Absolutely. Yep. It's it his time. What do we think of New Zealand, him juggling New Zealand and New South Wales? I, I'm interested to see what New Zealand think about it. I, look, I read today, I, I heard that they were unhappy. Uh, they, were, they were a bit blindsided by it, to be honest. Yep. I know Canberra certainly were blindsided by it. Um, I don't think there's any way that he can do all three. No, no, no uh, I'd be very surprised if the Canberra board let him do all three. But I've read reports in our paper today that that um, New Zealand have given their blessing. But I, I was told that their immediate response yeah. was, "Well, how's that yeah. going to work?" I, I think <laughs> it would have shocked them. I mean, the the, the one thing there's there's not a conflict of interest with coaching New Zealand. If he was coaching Australia, like let's go back to the Terry Fernley days, of oh, God, yes. him coaching New South Wales and coaching Australia. And him basically picking just about all of the New South Wales players and leaving the Queensland, it became it, it created in, some drums. It was <laughs> it was absolutely it caused this when he dropped, huge when he split. dropped Wally. Oh, <laughs> that was huge that story. I, I think was, you know the New Zealand thing in Australia. It, it, it'll be interesting of how it works, but I personally don't have a problem with it. I think the one concern I have with these other jobs is. The one part that we didn't see with Freddie was all the stuff he did the rest of the year, you know, the going around places, inspiring it's young true. kids that wanted to be part of New South Wales. And so I, with a part-time contract that it seems that Michael Maguire has with New South Wales, that's a part where I go, geez, like the long-term effects Freddie had only, what, five, six years ago? How are we going to replace that? Look, I don't know. Is Freddie going to keep doing that? I'm not sure, well, but usually that's the role for the From a coach. New South Wales point of view, though, like, and I slugged it out with a New South Wales rugby league director about this yesterday. It said... Oh, do you think Billy Slater? And I just think there's a naivety about what New South Wales is up against at the moment. You're listening to the best of Matty Johns. I just hate everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, people, it is time for Movie of the Week. Uh, it's uplifting, people. Now, people, I can tell you, you can scan the country. Show me a better judge of film and cinema than Liam Alexander. He has been enormous again this year. Uh, and today he finishes with a movie which is so many people's favourite. Shawshank Redemption. I think you'll ever get out of here. One day, when I got a long white beard and two or three marbles rolling around upstairs, they let me out. I'll tell you where I'd go. It's in Watanil. It's in Mexico. A little place on the Pacific Ocean. I don't think you ought to be doing this to yourself, Andy. This is just shitty pipe dreams. I mean, Mexico is way to hell down there, and you're in here, and that's the way it is. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. You get busy dying. That's red for you. Just always tell not like it is. Uh, <laughs> Liam Alexander, welcome. Uh, morning, guys. What a good movie to do for the last one. Oh, what a yeah. ripper. Liam, uh, before we start, congr- uh, well, congratulations on the word. Thank you. Uh, for for this year, you have, but the feedback we get on a weekly basis is enormous. No, I, I've I've loved doing it. I love talking about movies, and I've I've loved doing it again with you guys. 
Liam, this movie, right, it's a little bit like there's songs out there which are iconic songs, but that they're loved so much and it's so saturated yeah. in pop culture, it almost destroys the song. We said, like, an example yeah. is Aussie, like, you know, let's say K-San as far as Australian music. Mm. Shawshank Redemption, has mass popularity affected your love for this film? Uh, it's hard because the first time you watch it, the expectations are so high. And oh, I think, well, I'd, I'd seen it after all the hype had been built. And it's, it is such a great movie. And I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite movie ever made, but if someone were to come up to me and tell me that it is their favorite movie, I couldn't argue with them. And I wouldn't argue with them because it is a perfect movie. Uh, I think it's, mm. it's so well written and acted and there's not a shred of, uh, show offness a bit. It's not pretentious. Yeah. It feels old fashioned and sort of timeless in the way that it's told. So it hasn't really affected my love for it, but the hype for it is so strong that um, I can see people maybe be, being let down by it, but I don't know yeah. how. Boys, where I, does it sit for you guys? It, it's in my top three. I was actually thinking this. I watched it again last night. I haven't watched it in years. It is an effing masterpiece, that movie. The yeah. writing is so strong and that. That scene that we just played a snippet from then, that's like the, the movie swings on that scene towards the end there. I just reckon the way yeah. it's acted, the way it's written, right down to the last scene. And I remember watch, I watched it and I went, holy hell, is that, that's, well, that's got to be up there with God, the Godfather movies for me yeah. as the best movies I, at the moment. I always, a measure of when I'm watching a little bit older movies, a measure for me is always if I'm five minutes in and I've forgotten that it's an old movie, that's that's a sign. Yeah. It's timeless. It's a yeah. timeless movie. And that's what this is. Like you could watch this in 100 years. It'll still be as poignant as it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, Liam, Ben, yep. why then was it a box office? Was it a disaster? Because when you have a look at what it made, compared to you know, what it cost it to make. It, very underwhelming. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to the, I was saying this to you boys before, the marketing of the film to try and market a prison drama mm. is not easy. And at the time, even though this is hard to imagine, Morgan Freeman wasn't Morgan Freeman. Like he, like he had done, you know, Driving Miss Daisy, and I think he was in Glory, but he wasn't the juggernaut that is Morgan Freeman. And Tim Robbins, like Tim Robbins is... Like, everyone would be able to go, Tim Robbins in yeah. Shawshank. Yeah. yeah, or Bull Durham. But what else has Tim Robbins yeah. been in? Like, he's been in a whole host of great films, but this is what he's known for. So they're not gigantic actors. Plus, it was sort of this, I think, marketing they try to get it. And it was only after he got seven Oscar nominations that everyone went, what, yeah. what's this, what's this what movie? Did, what did it win? Yeah. It didn't win anything. Really? Because the 90, 1994, <laughs> hey, Liam, what, what, the Oscars for Best Picture 1994, do, do you know them off? Like what they were? God, it was well. Pulp fic. It was up against Pulp Fiction oh, and Forrest Gump. Yeah, oh, wow. and oh. I can't remember the other two. That Pretty were good on, fingered on that. Year. It just it just shows <laughs> that that was there somewhere. It was it was back in the days where the nineteen nineties Oscar Best Picture nods were these epic masterpieces, and they just yeah. Here like, we go. The other two, the other two, four weddings and a funeral. Oh, and, Ooh, not so much. And quiz show. And quiz show. You know, forty minutes. God, I hate. Uh, the end of Four Weddings and a Funeral, where he goes, uh, uh, you're crying. No, it's raining. Is it? Going, oh, Andy McDowell, what are you doing? You've just destroyed the movie. Um, uh, <laughs> Liam, what do we need to know as far as the making of this film? Well, I think that's one of the most interesting parts. Um, basically, it's based on a, a Stephen King short story. Frank Darramour, it's his first movie ever made. There were a lot of contenders 
to play the role of Andy, but because um, Darabont was a first-time director, Tom Cruise actually did some table reads to play yeah. Andy. He was really close mm. to playing that role. But because Frank Darabont was a first-time director, he just thought, oh, I don't know if he's experienced enough to make it. So he pulled out and Tim Robbins came in. But you, know there, what, you know what makes a lot it? Of, Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Tim Robbins' eyes. What's doing with his weird, spooky eyes? <laughs> yes. Mm. He, yeah. Death eyes. They are death eyes. <laughs> well, yeah. Susan Sarandon likes them. Yeah. But don't you reckon, you know when in the, one of the early scenes where he's sitting in the witness box and he's yeah. like, yeah. Those, and they like, and his eyes like, a freaking, yeah. mm. well, okay. well, he actually looks like, <laughs> he keeps saying that he's innocent, but he actually looks like he could have killed them. That's what, Ooh. that's right. You, Liam, that's it. You've nailed it. The eyes make you think, well, maybe he did do it. Mm. Ben? Yeah. Well, speaking on the, the Stephen King thing, because a lot of people don't know that Stephen King actually wrote this, originally called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. He sold the rights to this movie for $5,000. Oh, which oh well, yeah, well, you, you think that. He never cashed the check, right? So apparently later on, he sent it back to the director, Frank Darabont, and actually said, uh, got it and um, said, just in case you have any bail money, here's the check back. Oh, so he yeah. never checked it. So you can imagine... The kind of cash that Stephen King is getting for writing his his horror novels, yeah. five thousand dollars, yeah, whatever. So, um, but on obviously Tom Cruise reading for uh, Andy Dufresne. I can't see that. Uh, yeah, well, um, you know the you know the young guy that comes in and finally and he teaches him how to yeah. read and write, and yeah. he obviously gets killed in the movie. Spoiler: um, <laughs> the person that was originally cast to play that was Brad Pitt. Oh, and then mm. a young Brad and Pitt. Then just before Shawshank, Thorne and Louise came out, and unknown Brad Pitt was no longer unknown, and went, "No, nah, I'm out. I'm going to go pursue some other bigger movies." Yeah. Which at the time, you know, yeah. kind of worked out. Kind of worked out yeah. for both parties. But yeah, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, Liam, the critics. Did everyone love? The yeah. Film? Critically, it was really well received. I think that's why a lot a lot of people were surprised that it bombed at the box office. Like it really, like when we're talking about bombing, it really did. It didn't even make its budget back in its initial run, but like it, it's one of those movies where the word of mouth, the critic reviews, it led to, it was one of the most popular um, home video rentals of the nineties. Like yeah. Gunton who played the warden in 2004, like 10 years after the movie came out, he said he was still earning six figure residual payments due to the home the home box office yeah. that it was making. Oh it was so it was, was huge hit. Rental it was the, the most rented movie of nineteen ninety five with three hundred and twenty thousand VH copy VHS copies mm. rented across the States. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh. Maestro VHS was a form yeah. of oh. <laughs> and it, say, Max, yeah, it was before Blu ray Liam. I don't know if you <laughs> there was No, beta. what's that? No, it was uh, beta as well. Yeah, beta, beta Max. Beta Max. <laughs> That was it, wasn't it? Those yeah. were the rich kids. The rich kids had the Betamax. Did they? Yeah. Did they? Yeah. Dude, I had six. Um, <laughs> now, okay, Liam, a question, and this is for all of us, a hypothetical. A Andy and Red, they reunite in Mexico. <laughs> How do they live out the rest of their lives? Well, I'm not going to say the version I said before the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> But Can when you, you when tent? you say that version, you kind of look at the performance I differently. I reckon they went on the tear, yeah. and then we, you and I were speculating, Maddie, that, that Andy leans and goes, "I actually did it. I actually oh. hey, read on it. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that at the end. I did it, mother. I did it. It's like primal fear. Yeah, I that's know. exactly what it's like. Liam, how do you think they they live live out their lives? Um, 
I don't know. It's well, one of the saddest things about the whole movie is that Brooks was here after mm. so adjusting to life after being in prison for essentially your whole life. I think I think Andy and Red are such good friends that Red will be sweet. But mm. yeah, I think they just live off in that island in Mexico for a couple of years and yeah. let it settle down. It'd be a pretty mm. decent Terrible. life. I mean, I mean, it, yeah. look at you know, how idyllic fishing boat. I mean, after a while, though, I mean, surely you know you move to, to Acapulco yeah. at least. Bunch of fresh fish and tequila. I reckon that I reckon they they do a heist together. That's all oh, I like to see. Ooh, or maybe could I do a Shawshank too? Mate, start those, a those two together. Those two together would be pretty. You know, Butch Cassidy and Sundance they, are they, Kid. Mate. Are they actors still alive? Are the mm. actors still alive today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. could do a Shawshank yeah. too, well, and they actually go. do a heist. Shawshank <laughs> to the heist. They try to get back into the prison. <laughs> yeah, they try to get back in. They rescue him. him. They go, you know what? I'm going to do. They rescue El Chapo. Yeah. Get him out. <laughs> and they just, and they just get on the blow for years. <laughs> the, the best, the best thing, about, the best thing about the ending though is when they've, like any other normal uh, prison movie, you escape and it's oh he's out and he's got his freedom and that's the goal. He gets out and then rocks into a bank and goes. By the way, that three hundred thousand I've been stashing away. I want that three hundred thousand dollars. In 1966, oh. would be some good more. You'd be living Mexico. in Mexico. Oh man, <laughs> Liam, uh, what? A hundred? Is it a hundred, boys? Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. There really isn't. Yeah. Well, nah, I'll tell you what. 80. I oh, negative. You're so negative. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's no out of Africa. Uh, we'll take Ooh. a break after it. Um, Liam is going to sign off uh, for this year with recommendations for uh, must-watch movies during the summer and Christmas. You're listening to the best of Maddie Johns. Hey, God. Oh, what do you do? Um... He must get sucked. We're just talking about poor old Daryl Braithwaite performing the horses all the time. He must get there sometimes. And mate, can you play the AFL Grand Final? Fantastic. What do you want to play? Summer Love? How's that? Uh, Rock me gently. Uh, no, mate. Uh, can you do horses? Oh, not I tell you what, song. Sweet Caroline's going down the same path. I, it is. If I never hear oh. either of those songs again, I'll be happy. Oh, then do that ad. Do, yeah, that do, ad. do. Oh, yeah. mate, Another song, uh, Blue Jeans by uh, what? Neil Diamond. Forever in blue jeans, baby. Uh, love on the rocks, ain't no surprise. Um, you, do a, you do a very good Neil Diamond. Hey, I'm Neil Diamond, people. Uh, now, before we sign off, Liam, your recommendation through the summer and Christmas as far as films concerned. What do you got for us, pal? Oh, there's some really good ones coming out, Matty. Um, even starting next week, next Thursday, Martin Scorsese's new movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, comes out next Thursday. It's three and a half hours long. Apparently, it's De Niro's best work in years. Uh, and it's being praised as Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance of his entire career. Wow. So if, wow. if either of those things are remotely true, I think it's going to be an amazing, amazing movie. Got my tickets already. So next yeah, Wednesday... Next, uh, next, next, yeah, next Thursday. Yeah, next Thursday. Oh, wow. yep. Yeah. What about some others, Liam? What else look out for? Yeah, uh, we've done David Fincher a couple times this year. We've done Seven and Fight Club. His new movie, The Killer, comes out with Michael Fassbender. Got a five-minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival. It's in cinemas for two weeks, and then it's on Netflix um, shortly after that. So, uh, But his movies are always worth checking out in the cinema, I reckon. I don't, I don't know what's stranger. 
people, uh, you know, people timing how long the standing ovation is, or people that get yeah. up after a minute clapping and going, "Well, I'm not going to be the first one to sit down." <laughs> yeah. Do you want to know the longest? <laughs> it's uh, Del Toro, 22 minutes for Pan's yeah. Labyrinth. Really? Carry on. Have you seen Pan's Labyrinth? That's all I have. I I wouldn't be clapping that movie for twenty two minutes. minutes. No way. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> uh Liam, any others? Yeah, well, um Ridley Scott a lot of the directors we've done this year actually are bringing out movies uh to finish this year. Napoleon, he reteams oh, with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, apparently uh, the reviews there's been some early reactions. Apparently, it sort of swung either both ways. Some are calling it a masterpiece. Others are calling it a bit of a mess. But I think that's such an interesting period of history to capture on film. And those two are so good together. So, so, the, so the director's cut they're going to put on Apple, Yeah, that's four hours. Four and a half yeah. hours. Four and a half hours. <laughs> it actually makes me keen. Because I'm like, you just sit back and just get into it, you know? Yeah. Don't cut any corners, baby. Tell me the story. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> Give me the whole. <laughs> you must uh, for four and a half hours. You really got to be into your French dictators. You well, you know, what? <laughs> hang on a second. I ordered a Big Mac, not a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Deborah Conway, <laughs> icon. Um, now, Liam, got a text message that uh, came through. Liam, in your opinion, which of the young actors or actresses? Do you predict that one day we'll become a film icon along the lines of De Niro or Paul Newman? Are there any out there, Liam? I think the one guy who's sort of heading in that direction at the moment is um, Timothy Chalamet. Mm. I think the movies he chooses and the directors he chooses to work with, he's already worked with some of the great filmmakers of our time. I think he... If he sort of stays on that career trajectory, I think he'll be one of the one of the best actors ever. When's um June two coming out? Got delayed by yeah, a it got, year. Yeah. yeah, it comes out March next year now. I think because of the actors' strikes, uh, mm. they're unable to promote the movies at the moment. So oh, right. I think they're waiting. So hopefully by March next year they can, they can release. That's a good. That's a good slow it. burn movie. That one. Mm. You know. If you, yeah, I love Sand Hills. But if you want to see if you want to see Chalamet <laughs> before that, he's in he's in Wonka. That comes out in December. Do you say, oh, Wonka. Yeah. No, Wonka. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Uh, oh, why not? Uh, no, thank you, sir. You, you're now a father. Yeah, oh, this, this is going to be a great movie for kids. It looks darker. I don't want it. it looks a bit darker. And The first I one t- was dark. No. Have you seen what the first What about The King? Did you like him in The King? Yeah, I, I, love, I really like that movie. That That's man. another one, really too. That's good. another movie you've got to watch over a few times mm. to really pick up the nuance. Mm. Back to you, Liam. Liam, mate, once again, we said it before. Thank you for this year. You're fantastic. Man. No, you are. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for the year. Good luck with the good luck with the rest of the show. Me and Liam, uh, we've had a couple of decent sessions. Liam, mate, Liam, mate, <laughs> yeah. don't worry. He, he's well spoken, well raised, great uh, kid, mate. He goes as hard as anyone. Uh, we went to Jake Duke's birthday. Um, I recall. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, Jake uh, said, uh, he, "I heard Jake talking to people, you know, talking about his birthday, and I, he could tell that I was in vicinity and heard, so he." Felt he turned around to me and said, "Oh, Maddie, and look, feel free to drop in for one." Uh, Liam, what time did we leave? Three or something like that. Anyway, it was yeah, a, it was a hell of a session. Uh, <laughs> did I just say that out loud? Yeah, I did. Sorry, Trisha. <laughs> Good on you, Liam. Go well, brother. Thanks, guys. Hey, Liam.